Are you looking to buy or sell a home? Wondering where to start? Do you have questions about mortgage and real estate and need honest, accurate answers? Well, you're in the right place. Welcome to The Educated Home Buyer with expert real estate broker, Jeb Smith, and certified mortgage consultant, Josh Lewis, where we discuss everything you need to know to buy right, borrow smart, and build wealth through real estate ownership. Welcome back to The Educated Home Buyer, where our goal, my goal here is to help you buy right, borrow smart, and build wealth through real estate ownership and financing. As you can tell, I have a little bit different background tonight. I'm in a hotel, just leaving a real estate conference. Um, I hope to provide you some value from that conference tonight. But the caveat here is the internet connection might not be great. So I'll leave it up to you guys to kind of keep me in the loop of what's happening on that front. If it's, you know, blurry or it's not, the audio is not great or what have you. So keep me abreast. I apologize uh, up front. Um, and Josh is going to be out tonight because Josh is in Mexico. So Josh is enjoying Mexico. I'm coming out of a conference trying to unpack everything I've just learned and help educate you guys. So thank you for being here. Thank you for the support uh, as always. So today we've clearly seen, um, you know, what we expected, which was the Fed raising the Fed funds rate 50 basis points, right? It's been expected. We've talked about it. Um, and they came out and delivered as they said they would, which is, you know, exactly what we expected, exactly what the market wanted to hear. And because of that, mortgage rates improved slightly. Um, treasuries didn't really move. I talked to Josh prior to coming on here. His advice is still in this environment, even though there are some people out there thinking that you know we could see a rally in interest rates uh it's a good idea to lock loans at the moment just because there is still volatility out there uh, the fed did say or more or less to expect another 50 percent basis point rise or, or raise rather um, in the next fed funds meeting and potentially after that as well right they're continually watching the numbers continually adjusting and hopefully as i've said before with that you know the market is expecting that if they come out and deliver as expected, the volatility subsides a little bit, hopefully interest rates, because interest rates, there's a premium on rates at the moment because of the volatility. So once that volatility slows down, hopefully we see a little bit of decline, maybe a step back in rates improving. Um, but with that said, what's happening with inventory? Um, I didn't get a chance to look at the inventory in the market coming onto the show. So I'm gonna do that here in just a minute. but. What I saw prior to today was that inventory's increased. Um, it's continuing to move up in most markets out there. But let's be clear what that means, right? So I'm here at a conference at the moment, a thousand uh, top agents across the country. I mean, literally, I mean, in, in the United States, Canada, we've got agents from everywhere. And these are agents that a lot of you guys have been referred to um, when, when I've made that referral. But it's a similar story. And the similar story is that, yes, we are seeing uh, more inventory. We are seeing some buyers getting priced out completely. You know, instead of having 20 offers, we're now seeing five or seven offers. It's taken a little bit more time to get those offers in. So they're not coming in necessarily on day one. It might take them, you know, five days or, you know, instead of two to three, it might be a week before those offers come in. But many of them are still having multiple offers, which is continuing to push prices sideways to up. Now, inflation is clearly an issue and it will continue to be an issue for some period of time. But with that said, prices aren't likely to, to decline. Now, I know a lot of people out there will have their beliefs on, on prices and what have you, but because supply is still well below 
where it should be, not just here in Southern California, but in many markets out there and having these conversations with other agents, it's, it's a similar story, right? And so with that, because supply is low, it, it is building and it will continue to probably build for, for some period of time, you're likely to see a little bit of slowdown in the market, which means, you know, I've heard similar stories of, you know, people reaching out on videos, commenting on things and more or less saying, hey, listen, I finally got my offer accepted. I, I'm excited and I'm hearing more of those stories. So you're probably in a better situation at the moment if you are a buyer. Now, that doesn't mean you need to go out and buy a house. It just means it's less competitive at the moment. And again, it doesn't mean you're going to be able to go out there and lowball something and get a, a smoking deal because that's probably not likely either. So just want to be clear on expectations. The market is shifting a little bit. And, you know, I'm going to talk about a video on Friday where, you know, how you deal with a, a buying, you know, a changing market as a buyer, how to address the market, things that you should watch, look out for. Um, but that's that. So what we're going to do to now, uh, tonight right now is dive into some questions, kind of get into this and uh, kind of move, move things along. So um, I'm looking for some, some insight on audio and visual. Is it okay? Give me some insight there. If you don't mind, that would be helpful just because I, I'm not seeing, I'm only seeing my side. So if you guys could let me know, that would be awesome. What it looks like. Um, yeah. So, so South Florida, I mean, I have people in here asking what's happening in South Florida. So a couple agents here in the Miami market, in the luxury space, in the Miami market. And when I say luxury, I'm talking multi million, 10, $20 million houses moving very, very quickly is what I'm hearing. Um, still low inventory, still things moving fast, you know, multiple offers, all of that. So even with all of that, we're not seeing a decline in the environment. So good to hear. Thank you for, for those of, commenting on the on the audio and, and the video so um so hopefully that is helpful not a lot of questions in here tonight guys without questions guess what i get off this and i go enjoy the night so it is um but i wanted to be here because i said i would be here and deliver as promised so um so flynn flynn estra says randy patrick was right kind of after like 20 years now randy patrick was not right he isn't right and he won't be right for a very long time that guy has been calling for a crash for however long a housing bubble 2.0 he's he's wrong there is no housing bubble again it's we're not talking crashes we're not talking any of that we're talking a mere slowdown in the market what we've wanted that, that's the thing is like everybody thinks the agent, the real estate agent wants a crazy market. We don't. We like a normal market where buyers have a chance, sellers have a chance, things still move. And that's the market that we're still in. So let's not get confused by hearing a little bit more inventory that you think, you know, there's a crash coming because that's not what's happening at all. All right. Yeah, so there's a lot of uh, a lot of consensus with regards to uh, his ideas on the market. Me being here by myself, guys, you got to bear with me because I got to go through these comments. There's only one of us to get it on there, and uh, so I'm trying to read and, and provide value and, and finding a good comment. So let's see. It was sarcasm. Okay, so good stuff. Yeah, no, I I am with you, Flynn. It is definitely. Um, yeah, he, he, is, he has been wrong um, and he will continue to be wrong like a lot of other people out there at the moment. And it's not me. I have all the answers. It's just me being entrenched in the market, 
dealing with buyers and sellers, talking to agents that do way more business than I do, quite frankly, right? I mean, I, I on average do about 30 transactions a year as a single agent. I'm talking to people doing hundreds of transactions in different markets and using that to kind of come back to you guys and give you guidance on what's happening, not here in Southern California, but across the board. Uh, but George said, I'm scheduled to close on my first house on Friday in Virginia. However, the seller has not fixed the HOA violations yet. Should I still go ahead and close on the house? So I would advise you to have those things done prior to closing because what happens is there's an association involved. Even you know if you're able to make that transfer, many associations won't provide the documentation to the new owner until that stuff's satisfied. So you might get into a situation where if those violations aren't satisfied, the HOA doesn't allow the transfer to happen on their side. Uh, but with that said, I, I would advise you to get anything done, you know, violations, repair requests, anything that's not completed, get it done prior to closing because it's a lot more difficult as a homeowner, as a new buyer coming into a transaction, the seller's gotten their money, they're ecstatic, they're ready to move on. And your only sense uh, or your only action of recourse at that point is to, you know, try to go after them. And if they don't agree, then you end up in small claims court or what have you. It's a process you don't want to deal with. And, and quite frankly, the listing agent, it's their responsibility to make sure that stuff happens um, and deal with their clients. So I would advise you to, to take, you know, that head on and deal with it prior to closing. Right. Um, so Lisa here is looking to sell in Murrieta, moved to Delaware. New homes there are not being built for 12 to 18 months. No existing homes available. Will it get better? It may. I mean, it probably is going to get better. So my expectations over the next couple of weeks is that you're going to continue to see more inventory build um, just because it is the spring. It's that time of year when homes do come to the market. But at the same time, you have you know more sellers potentially panicking, right? There are sellers out there that were, you know, don't that think there is a crash coming, want to get ahead of it, want to get out. So they're going to put their homes on the market. So you're going to have some of that. And you're headed into a slower time of the year, you know, in a couple of months, which is typically the summertime. I talked about that in a recent video where the summer gets the credit, but all of the work is done in April, May, and June. So most of the homes are closing or going into escrow in April, May, and June and closing during the summer months. But typically the summer months are when things start to slow down you just don't see the effect of the slowdown until a couple of months later because of you know people on vacation that you know they're traveling they're not really looking at homes during the summer or what have you and so you're going to see inventory continue to probably build in many markets out there now the new construction phases and all of that depending on where you're located you know those are Probably in many markets, like you mentioned, 12 to 18 months. I mean, they're not able to build construction much faster than that because of, you know, rules and regulations and, and fees on breaking ground in many places like California. It's, it's a process to break ground in California. It's expensive to break ground in places like California. Um, so if there's building already in place, then that's construction that will likely happen within the next 12 months. But I wouldn't count on it being exactly 12 months because you're going to have additional supply chain issues. I mean, there are you know, things getting resolved out there, if you will, with regards to supply chain, but you haven't seen the effect of the, the recent lockdowns in China at the moment that hasn't Im impacted the market at the moment, right? We're going to see additional supply chain issues because, and it, and it might not be lumber, it might not be, 
you know, the things to build houses, but it might be things that go into houses to finish these houses. And so that is going to become, you know, more of an issue. You're probably labor is still a problem for many builders out there. So many factors playing into it. What I'm getting at here is that you're going to see more inventory. Doesn't mean it's going to be any less competitive, especially if there's a market where there are no homes available at all. Now, if you're in a market where there's already some inventory and you get a little bit more, that's a good thing. That's a good thing for buyers. And we're seeing it here in California at the moment is we are seeing inventory pick up. We are seeing the market move, but it's still competitive. If you've got a home that's priced right, it's going to sell. It may not be immediately, but that also doesn't mean they, you're going to have to do a, a big price reduction or a price reduction at all. It's just buyers have more options. They're looking at more property. They have, you know, it's taking a little bit longer to make a decision now because instead of just one property to choose from, they have four or five maybe to choose from. And so they actually have to think about what they want to buy versus it's the only one I'm buying, that's it. And it's very easy to make a decision in that case because there aren't options. So as more options come on, things are going to slow a little bit. So hopefully that's helpful for you, Lisa. It's, you know, just making the right decision. Don't buy something you don't want to buy just to buy it. But if it's the right one, you know, maybe you, you do, um, you know, do what you need to do in order to make that happen. And if you hear my wife uh, clearing her throat in the background, um, she's over there reading her phone, probably making fun of me in some form or fashion. Here we go. So Nikki says, do you think there will be more mobile home parks developed to help with supply and affordable housing? Unfortunately, it's hard for me to say. I mean, the thing with mobile home parks is they require land. Um, here in Southern California, we don't have a lot of available land. So that's not going to be the solution here in Southern California. In some areas of the country, that might be a solution. Now, is it going to be a solution that solves the housing crisis, the housing shortage, so to speak? No, it's not because it's, you know, it's not sustainable to be able to build all of that. And again, I don't know where supply chain issues are on manufactured and mobile at the moment. I don't know if they're able to get the supplies to finish some of these things. So if that's an issue, then I don't know that that is going to be something that, that helps um, at the moment. So it's to be determined, but depends on your market. If you've got a lot of available land, you might see more of it. Um, but it, that, that one is a hard for a hard one for me to answer just because I, I don't know for sure. Um, so question, talk about recent offers you made or offers received. So an example is just listed a property, um, in Los Angeles County and, uh, priced right, uh, for the market and doesn't have offers. Um, I, you know, it, it's, it's in, in a neighborhood that's popular, it's getting showings, open houses were busy, no offers on the table. Now there are other properties in the, in the neighborhood that are also sitting a little bit. So I think with that being said, that to me shows the market is a little bit slower, right? People, again, again, it goes back to what I said a minute ago, um, with writing buyer offers, last buyer offer I wrote, thought we actually had a pretty good chance. You know, we we went fifty thousand above the asking price um, on a property in Orange County, and we there were two offers. We were a multiple. I was told there were two at the time, and this property had been on the market a couple of days, and the offer didn't get accepted. Um, they went with a cash offer. They went with a little less price than our offer, uh, but it was still above the asking price, and they chose to go with that offer because it was cash. You know. 21 day close or seven, seven days to release all contingencies for the seller. That was important to them, even though we were offering more money and we had 20% down solid client, they chose the cash because of that. So 
that's hard to compete with. Um, but that's the only recent example I have that that comes to mind just because I've been out of town for nearly a week. Um, but coming back, I'll hopefully be able to provide you with a little more insight on that. But in the conversations I've had while I've been here, I, I've heard more buyers getting offers accepted, um, again, because I do think there's less competition out there. Uh, I also think, you know, buyers have a better grasp on what to do in the market, um, which is also helpful. And I think there's less buyers having to go way above wave contingencies, do a lot of these things that you've had to do in order to be competitive. I think you're going to see less of that. So um, hopefully that that is the case and it becomes more of a, you know, a normal, quote unquote, normal market. Uh, Brandon's asking the question, what value to the sales price of a single family home does an accessory dwelling unit add in general? Some price per square foot as main home, Bay Area market. So that is a really, really tough question to answer um, because it there's not a lot of properties out there to comp on these things. So it's hard to determine what value that thing adds. Now, you could say, well, you take the price per square foot of what the regular house would be selling for and then add the additional square foot and that's what it is. And it's not really the case. Um, it depends on the market, how much rent does it bring in? Are you renting it? You know, what can it be used for? There's there's so many factors that go into these ADUs and, and not all ADUs are the same, right? Some ADUs have, you know, living spaces and, you know, full on kitchens and bathrooms and what have you. Some of them literally have a sink and a toilet and room for a bed and maybe a, a counter for, you know, some sort of appliances for a kitchen. So they're all a little bit different, very hard to to say how much they add value. It really depends on the area. Um, I, I, you know, I, in, in pricing out properties that have ADUs to try to get comps, you try to find something that has had something similar and how far above the price they went in order to help yours out. Uh, but I don't know that there's a, you know, one answer that fits the bill. Uh, but a lot of times, you know, if it costs you, you know, $100,000 to build an ADU, that doesn't necessarily mean you're able to take $100,000 and just add it on to the cost of your single family home. And now your home's worth $100,000 more. It doesn't necessarily work like that. Um, so you got to, again, try to look at the market, see what comps are out there. Uh, but really an appraiser question. Uh, we don't, we do have them in my market, but they're not as common that it's an easy answer for me to, uh, to come up with. Um, any offers accepted using down payment assistance? So Ed, I haven't had a down payment assistance offer in a long time. Um, it's been years and years and years. In fact, on the listing, on any listing that I have had, I, I haven't had any offers submitted that have had down payment assistance. So I unfortunately can't really answer the question, um, but I can tell you, in, I mean, what I, what I know to be true is that in a competitive market, uh, down payment assistance offers are obviously tough to get accepted because, you know, if you're up against somebody that doesn't have down payment assistance, then typically, you know, that looks like a more attractive offer. And depending on where the down payment assistance comes from and the guidelines and the rules and all of that, it can really bog down the transaction and people kind of shy away from that. So you'll see more down payment assistance if we were to see more of a buyer's market, but I don't see that happening anytime soon. Now, that doesn't mean you can't use it doesn't mean it's not common in your market. It just means I'm not seeing it. And so it's it's hard for me to really give you any advice on it. 
So Al says, who owns the sidewalk and the grass on the other side of it? So the city owns the sidewalks. Um, it's their responsibility to take care of them, at least where I'm from in Orange County. The grass on the other side of it is owned by you. Um, but the city essentially has an easement on that grass for the most part. Uh, but what happens, typically speaking, I don't know the right, the, the right measurement out, but from the center line of the street, like, 15 yards or 15 feet or whatever the number is the city essentially owns that that land um so with that being said the grass that's out there is owned by you it's part of your lot but the city essentially has some rights to it with regards to um you know access to sidewalks and and easements and all of that good stuff so I'm not sure if you have a, a more elaborate question, but hopefully that is helpful. But if something happens to the sidewalk, it's it's up to the city to take on that responsibility and repair it and what have you. If it's a trip hazard, that's the city's responsibility in most cases. But what you'll see is a lot of cities, maybe they don't have the funding for that or they take their time in doing it. So in, in many cases, I've seen homeowners go out there and take care of it themselves and take over that um, that responsibility that's not really their responsibility just to get it done. Now, I don't know how the cities look at that, but something to uh, to consider. So Lisa, or Jay Homeboy rather, when is it smart to do a five or 10-1 arm loan? Is it knowing that you will pay off the house or knowing that you knowing that you will be paying off the house or knowing that you are going to refinance before the 10, five or 10 year mark? I think so. Um, you know, I, I think if you, if you know for a fact that you're going to be out of the house less than five or 10 years in whichever case that you use, maybe it's an option for you, typically lower interest rates, um, you know, and, and it might allow you more buying power depending on how they use it to qualify you or what have you. So in that case, it, it could be something that you, you consider, but now if you know for certain that that's your forever home, you're not moving, I, I, it's difficult to say to to, to take a five or 10 year. I mean, I don't know if you were on the last call where we had this in, in the past, I've had shorter term loans. I have a 30 year fix now. I don't know that I would ever vary from a 30 year fix. And I have a gambler mentality to some extent. I'm okay with volatility. I'm okay with risk, but I just don't think about a 30 year fixed, right? It's there. I don't think about my payment. I don't have anything to worry about. I'm okay with it. Um, but yeah, if you have a shorter term time horizon that you know, you're going to be selling or refinancing or paying something off, you know, maybe you know, you know, that you're you're going to refinance if rates come down and you have an idea that rates might come down in the future or what have you, then maybe it's something you consider. Or if you know you're getting a lump sum of cash, you're gonna be paying off that loan or what have you, those are opportunities where you consider the five or ten year. Uh, but you gotta be okay with a with the unknown, right? The idea that it might adjust at the end of that five or year, five or ten year term and it might go up. And there might be, you know, a at that time, it might be rates might be higher. So you might be having to take on a higher rate at that time. Or maybe there's a chance that you don't qualify because rates are higher and your income's changed or what have you. So there's just risk in, in having those five and 10 ones. But if you're okay with it, then by all means, uh, you know, give it a try. So Anya says, how much value does a new roof bring over 100%? does it bring over a hundred percent return? Not necessarily. Um, new roofs, like if you, you know, if you have a $500,000 home and you add a $20,000 roof on that house, it doesn't mean it's worth $520,000. Um, it's what somebody values 
that that replacement for um you know because it had a roof on it prior and, and maybe the roof would have held up and you could have still gotten five hundred twenty thousand dollars without the new roof so it is not an exact science um an appraiser would be able to tell you maybe they give you a little bit more value or a little bit bump in in, in an appraised value for that but it's not going to be anything close to what you actually put in um to the roof so it's tough. I, I think it, 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 you have to look at the full picture. What else in the house needs work? For example, I just sold a property in Lakewood, um, California. The house needs a new roof on it. I still sold that house 5% above the asking price and it needed a roof. So in that case, had they done the roof, would I have been able to sell it for even more? I don't think so. Um, personally, I had five, six offers on this property. Um, all solid offers, all pretty close to that 5% above the asking price, that 950 price point. Again, I don't think I could have stretched it much further even with, with the roof on it. I mean, that 900 price point that we put out there was kind of with the idea that, yeah, it needs, it, it needs a new roof, but it's, it's priced right according to market. It, you know, we didn't, we didn't take off the value because it needed a new roof. So each case is going to be a little bit different, but it all is what the buyer the value the buyer sees in in that upgrade or what you've done and that goes for pools or kitchens or bathrooms or any of that stuff just because you put a hundred thousand dollars into a backyard to 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 build a pool doesn't now mean that your house is worth a hundred thousand dollars more it doesn't work like that um green car what will the fed hikes do to the housing prices so i don't think the fed hikes are going to do much to housing prices um personally um the two aren't necessarily correlated uh you know there's a lot going on outside of the fed hiking rates right they're hiking rates to tame inflation um inflation's probably going to stay high for a period of time um you're going to see a little change in the numbers just because of how it's calculated um, and, and the Fed's likely to continue to, to to hike the Fed funds rate. And I've talked about this at the beginning of the show, but I don't the, the Fed hiking the Fed funds rate doesn't mean house prices are going to come down. Again, it comes down to supply and demand. So the, the question is, how does the Fed hiking the Fed funds rate affect mortgage rates? How does the balance sheet runoff affect mortgage rates? Because the effect on mortgage rates has a bigger impact on house prices than anything that that's happening with you know the fed actually the, the fed funds rate itself so the the balance sheet runoff is the most important piece uh the market acted reacted really well today because of <clears throat> because of you know they came out and said that they were you know out of the 17 uh, what 17 and a half uh trillion that they were going to let runoff uh what was it i forget the number um runoff instead of 35 the market liked that right it was less than than they thought the market had a good reaction to it and and rates actually improved a little bit so until something happens with rates and, and if rates continue to rise and affordability is continued to be affected that's when you see an effect on home prices <coughs> but i don't see that happening right now right it's going to take some time for rates to stay up for that to affect demand, for that slowing demand to allow supply to build, for that supply to build to actually affect housing. And even then, you know, we're far from a balanced market. You've got to have enough supply build to a point where it affects, you know, over the overall market before you see a reduction in prices. Now, that doesn't mean that prices don't stagnate, don't move sideways. 
but the homes that you're going to see with price reductions are the homes that were overpriced to start with. You know, maybe the, the seller thought it was worth more. Maybe the agent thought it was worth more or, you know, maybe the house next door didn't sell for what they thought and they priced it based on that and some, some adjusting there. But overall, I think you're going to see, you know, a market that's still gradually moving sideways to up. So Alex asked, with affordability almost at a record low, do you think price growth is going to be flat? So I don't. Um, I think you're going to continue to see some price growth personally, um, just not at the rates that we've seen. Uh, like I just said a minute ago, I think you see more sideways to, you know, to maybe up a little bit. Um, you're obviously not going to see the 10%, the 15% gains, in my opinion. Um, I was wrong about that coming into this year. I didn't think you would see the hotness that we saw at the beginning of this year because I thought a lot of the the demand in the market had already happened last year. And I thought with some some small jumps in rates, you might see a slowdown. That didn't happen. Um, but I do think there's still demand out there looking for the right properties. There's still some properties selling for over ask, and that's going to continue to to, to move the market a little bit. Uh, Mr. ABS, uh, should you create a range when getting pre-approved? One from a bank, private lenders, and well-known popular lender, or will they all be fairly similar in approval amount? So no, you should definitely get a couple of different opinions. You should talk to a broker, talk to a bank, maybe talk to a credit union, because all of these pro these banks have access to different programs, right? A bank typically has their, their, their programs, their portfolio loans that they do. If you don't fit in the box, then you can't get a loan from them or they can't stretch on, you know, maybe they only allow certain debt to income ratios or only allow certain credit scores because of what their overlays on their programs. Credit unions have something similar. Brokers typically have access to those banks and access to other people. So they're a little bit more flexible on guidelines. They can typically get you a little bit more, um, you know, qualifying power and they're able to shop rates. So there's a benefit of that. But even then, it might be in your best advantage to talk to couple of brokers, compare them, compare what fees they're charging, compare what rates, more importantly, compare the service, the communication, the knowledge um, of who's on the other side of that, because that is ultimately, you know, what you're shooting for. If you've got, you know, if you're qualified for a great amount or a great interest rate with one guy, but they can't get the job done because they're incompetent, then what does it really matter what interest rate you're getting? I mean, I just had this scenario on a listing that we had, the buyer wanted to go with, uh, you know, their lender, they had gotten pre-qualified through my lender and my lender, Josh at the time told them, Hey, listen, that's a great rate. Like they're quoting you a really good rate. I can't compete with that. Well, they went and instead of using that lender, they went out and tried to find somebody less expensive and they did, but the experience was horrible. Like they complained about it. I had to get involved, go above their loan officer's head and find somebody at, at, at the bank in order to help me get to the finish line. So they almost lost the property because you know, they went with the guy quoting the best rate, but he had no idea what the hell he was doing. So just be careful in all of that stuff when you're making that decision. All right. Um, let's see. Audio and everything is still good, I hope. Um, let's see. Music Freedom says, do you think the forgivable 10% down payment California just announced will create more demand? Is there an income limit? So I know nothing about this. Um, if it came out today or within the last two days, I've been submerged in in real estate conference. So I haven't done a lot of um, external reading outside of like basic economics. So 
that's something that's new. I'll, I'll check it out and I'll be back here next week to, uh, to talk to you about it, but I'm not familiar with it, but I will, I will be by then. Um, let's see. But it, with that said though, let's go back to that. So music freedom. So a forgivable 10% down payment. So where's that money coming from? You know, that's the question that I have. How long, how are you going to have access to get it? What is California? How are they getting involved in it? Like what's, what's California? benefit right is there a benefit for them is it have to be repaid there's a lot of questions i have on that um but i'll have them i'll have the answers hopefully when when i come back to you and be able to to, to address it in a little bit more detail all right so we've got that's not a question but we've got the terminator saying uh our two-car garage house is much better for resales perspective than a house with a one-car garage in my experience yes um it's like uh, a two-bedroom versus a one-bedroom there's more people out there typically looking for a two bedroom versus a one bedroom. Therefore, those properties are usually in my my experience, you know, they sell quicker than the one bedrooms because there's more people in that buying pool. Same thing with two car garages. There's more people looking for two car garages than there typically are one. So those tend to have more buyers and therefore they sell quicker and at higher prices and what have you. Now, in the market that we're in now, maybe that's not the case because of affordability and what have you, but yes, the two car is is typically what you want to go with if, if you can. This uh, this cap here is driving me crazy. All right, so let's see what we got. So <clears throat> mega, I'm trying to get the name here. So mega, I have no idea what where we're going with that name, but we're just going to call you mega. I'm planning on buying a duplex and renting out the back house. I'm able to use the rent as income to be approved for a loan. Yeah, you are. You're able to use incomes of that property in order to help you qualify. Now, in the case that it's a duplex, they're probably going to use 75% of that rent of the second unit in order to help you qualify. Why don't they give you 100%? Because typically there's, there's expenses as a property manager, as an owner of a property that you have to pay. Maybe property management fees. Maybe you're... You know, there's things on that property that have to be fixed and, and what have you. So they take a portion of that rent out and don't let you use it for qualifying. But it's typically 75% of the rent added to your income, you know, in order to help you qualify. So the answer is yes on that. So if Biden says, so Biden cancels student loans, how much will this increase home prices and buyer demand? Hard to say. Um, you know, we had some friends who uh, he had student loans, um, a lot of student loans, and uh, he was able to get them forgiven. And so, with them, for example, it added a lot of you know monthly income back into their their debt to income, right? I mean, their their income towards debt. So, if they were in the market to purchase, um, they would be they would be able to qualify for more because that debt is now gone. It's hard to say how this is going to impact people. Um, unfortunately, what I think you have is I think you have uh, a, a society at the at the moment where people haven't had student loan payments for over two years anyway. So they're already living like they don't have them, in my opinion. And so the idea that they're gone just allows them to keep doing what they're doing now. I don't necessarily think it in their mind doesn't add more buying power. Now, from a qualifying standpoint, it does because in qualifying, even though you didn't have to make those payments, they were still there. So just keep that in mind. I think people have been living high on the hog, so to speak, because there have been things canceled and, and not having to be paid and what have you. 
Um, so actually canceling it only allows them to continue doing what they're doing, which, you know, is, uh, doesn't necessarily change, um, anything on, on that front. Uh, so let's see. Silent, it's silent when no one's talking. It's it's hard. Me Mega Asper boy. All right, there we go. We got clarification. Um, I'm I'm reading, guys. I'm trying to find you. Question here. So, Aganza, new to real estate investing, have a question. I reached out to a loan officer. They submitted all the documents they required for me. It's been almost two weeks. Is that okay? That's a long time. Um, in order to get pre-qualified, I'm assuming that's what you're going through there. That should happen pretty quickly. That's not. That shouldn't take two weeks to, to get done unless you have a unique scenario, a unique situation um, where you know you've got income maybe coming from some other places or whatever. It shouldn't take two weeks. You should have a, an answer back within a couple of days of whether or not you're pre-qualified. Some cases maybe the next day. Um, so I would maybe try to you know maybe find somebody else that maybe can can help you out on that front. So Ali says, you think it will make a difference if I do a HELOC now or wait three months? So all of the spring contracts will be shown as sold in the system to make the property value higher. HELOCs are one of those things that, um, you know, are you, the question is, do you need all of the money from the HELOC? Like, are you taking it to max it out? If you're taking it to max it out and, and those spring contracts are going to give you significantly more than maybe, but I would tell you, HELOCs are one of those things that they're as the market, if the market, not that I expect this to happen, but you know, we, we've seen it many, many times before, but as the market starts to change, banks, you know, shift their, their guidelines. And the first thing they do is cut homeowners access to equity lines because they don't want the risk of people running it up and what have you. Not that I expect that to happen, but I would tell you getting a HELOC, is something I would probably do sooner rather than later because again, if interest rates, I don't, I don't know where interest rates are going at the moment. Um, I'm under the belief, and I've been wrong in, in many ways um, on this subject. But I, I think as the market, the volatility subsides, you you see a little bit of pullback in rates, um, and so with that, you know, you you might be able to get a little bit lower rate, um, and but that's not going to happen immediately. Is where I was going with that, but. I think you know what the market's doing now. This is a conversation I have with sellers all the time and, and even buyers. You know what the market's doing now. You don't know what it's going to be doing in three months, six months, whatever. And so if you need the money for the equity line, I would say just do it, have it there, and be ready to go. Um, and if you know that you're going to be, um, if, if you're not going to use it for some period of time and, and you're okay waiting and maybe risking a little bit, then, then maybe the future allows you to do that. Uh, but I, I, I'm, I'm under the belief that, you know, if, if you're going to do it, now is just the time. Get it done. You know what the market's doing. You know what to expect. And you don't have to worry about, you know, where things are going to be in, in a couple of months from now. So, Benjamin, when it comes to applying for an FHA loan, is there a difference between going through a mortgage broker, bank, or credit union? Um, in some cases, yes, uh, because as of what I mentioned a moment ago, Many banks out there, um, credit unions have a certain limit on their debt to income ratio and what they'll allow for an FHA loan, right? FHA has their guidelines. I think you can't go higher than, a, a, don't quote me, 47%. I don't remember the number right off the top of my head, right? That's their, that's their ratio. 
Um, but many brokers out there can get them approved at 57%. So you're likely to be able to qualify for more home going through a broker versus your traditional bank. Um, and, and guideline, I mean, credit, credit's a big one, right? If you, if you don't have perfect credit, some of these banks won't do it in FHA because they have the overlays that says, Hey, this is, we're only doing 640 credit scores and higher. Well, if you have lower than 640, you're not going to be able to do that. Many brokers out there have access to lenders that can do them under 640. So those are things you need to weigh. Now, if you're a perfect client, you got great credit, great income, low debt to income ratio, eh, then maybe the bank's the best option. But it, it's not going to hurt you to have the conversation with multiple, get you know some quotes and use them. But when you do that, make sure it's done on the same day, right? You're not getting a quote today, one, you know, on Friday, the other one next Wednesday, because rates change daily. And if you, unless you're doing it on the same day, you're not actually comparing the loans. You know, it's not a consistent, you know, it's not a, a really a, comp a comparison that you can use um, because of the, you know, how rates change and, and what have you. So just make sure you're, you're getting quotes and you're doing it all at the same time. jump up jeb missed some i missed some so if i missed questions and you guys were at the top come back down and i'll try to add them here so chill pro you probably one of the more question common questions i get you know what advice i can give to buying now versus wait you know you guys that are here every week you know what i'm gonna say um but it's you gotta think you know why are you buying the house to start with is it the right time in your life? Do you have a growing family? Do you have needs to own a house? Um, do you have that longer term time horizon? Do you have money in the bank? Are you stretching yourself? These are things that, you know, that need to be thought about, right? It's, it's not always a great time to buy a house. Um, there's a lot of volatility in the market at the moment. I'm not a believer that you're going to see a crash in prices, but we, we, we have risen nearly 35%, 40% in two years, you know, a, a normal market would be great to see. Uh, and so with that, if you, you know, and, and again, I don't expect prices to really come down much or, or change very much. What I do expect is less craziness in the market with offers and people waiting things and going way above the asking. I think you see less of that. So if you're a buyer out there and your plan is to buy, you know, within the next two years, I'd say now is a really good opportunity because I think the market still does continue to move. Now, Again, if you're somebody that's buying and you know you're going to be moving in three years because you're relocating out of state or what have you, then you got to reconsider it. But it's all about the right decisions for you. Everybody's a little bit different in this, right? It's it it comes down to what what's important to you, um, and really the payment. That's really what it comes down to. I mean, I say it all the time, and I've said it you know many times. People live in the payment, not the price. So every every month you make your payment, that's what you're thinking about. You're not thinking about, you know, hey, I paid a million dollars for this house. You're thinking, okay, it cost me six grand a month to, to have this payment. That's what you're thinking about. Now, I'm not saying the price isn't important. I'm just telling you how people think. So that's where you got to come from. Are you able to make that payment over the next period of time? Do you have job stability? All of that good stuff. That's where you need to be with it. Um, let's see here. My opinion on crash predictions by, I don't, I don't know there. I don't watch the videos. Um, I don't follow them. I don't, I don't 
fall into the idea of of what they believe or what people say in their beliefs. So I honestly don't have an opinion because I don't I don't watch it. Um, but I gave you my thoughts on on the crash earlier in the video. So just that's my uh, my take on on that. Um, you know, this is again another one, Vic, that is kind of to each his own. Um, how much money? On savings, do you recommend someone have before buying their first home? Let's say a three hundred fifty thousand dollars home for a thirty-year loan. Tough. I mean, you know, you're gonna the Ramseys of the world, the Dave Ramseys, probably say you need a six-month emergency fund. I don't know what he preaches, to be honest. I um, mean, that's not a bad number to have. Some people want the the you know the comfort of knowing that they have a year um, or what have you. But I think you you need, probably need four to five months um, at least in order to be able to comfort, comfortably buy. Um, and that's outside of like, you know, any other sort of emergency fund, right? You should have an emergency fund to some extent. Um, and I can tell you through my, my career, my life, you know, I've bought property earlier in my career where I didn't have some of these things. Um, but from experience, that's where a lot of this stuff, this advice comes from. It's like, hey, seeing people make mistakes. Hell, I've made mistakes in in this stuff. Coming through and and just you know knowing you have money in the bank. So I think you got to pick a number that you're comfortable with. You know, if you didn't have a job for a, a couple of months and and you still had not only your housing expenses but you had the expenses of your you know childcare or, or you know going you still want to go out to dinner with your family or whatever it is. You got to be able to add that on top of it as well and, and find a number that you're comfortable with. Uh, but I don't know that there's a hard, fast rule on that one. Uh, let's see here, guys. Let's see. So somebody's asking. So Patrick said, am I seeing homes falling out of escrow due to issues with loans, interest rates rising? So I haven't seen, um, well, nothing fell out. So I, I had one, um, the home I mentioned earlier in Lakewood, got a call from the agent um, on the buy side uh, that the buyer basically might not be able to qualify for the loan. Um, but it wasn't because of rising rates. It was a way in the, in the way that they're um, were calculating the income for that buyer. And so that buyer ended up having to come up with more money down in order to be able to move forward with that loan. But I haven't seen anything that has to do yet with interest rates rising during the transaction or people not being able to qualify because of that rise it's going to happen um but you know typically speaking most buyers in this market i can't say most many buyers in this market are locking rates up front so they know what they're getting they know what their payment is so there shouldn't be a shock when going through the process and finding out this is the payment um, because it should be addressed prior to uh, to getting there but as things change, you're likely to see some of that happen. Um, let's do this. Let's uh, let's go with that one. So Steve is saying, have you seen a twenty percent increase in homeowners insurance premiums? I haven't. Um, you know, my my homeowners insurance went up a little bit over the past year, um, but I haven't seen the premiums go up. You know, are you likely to see premiums go up? Probably because, you know, it's on replacement cost and the cost to build. And as the cost to build and replace these things go up, you're likely to see some increases in, in you know, premiums and what have you. Um, these insurance companies, maybe it takes a little bit longer for that to actually take place. 
Um, but I haven't noticed it or heard of it or seen it. Um, but yeah, with inflation, things are going to get more expensive and it's going to affect a lot of, a lot of things, including life insurance. But you know, that's not going to be something in my experience, that's going to keep somebody from buying a house or disqualifying them or what have you. Um, you know, the premiums really jump, jump rather in areas where you see natural disasters, hurricanes, floods, that sort of thing. That's where, you know, you see big premiums on stuff. And as, as you have years without natural disasters, premiums come down and then it happens again, premiums go up and that's, it's pretty cyclical in that regard. I'm, I'm trying to find a question, I'm trying to find some questions. Um, live your life. So how much can property taxes go up when it's reassessed? So that depends on where you're located. Here in the state of California, you can't see more than a 2% increase per year um, in your property taxes. So property taxes can't go up. So that goes, that means if I bought my house for $200,000 40 years ago, it still can't go up more than 2% per year. And obviously that that's year over year. Um, so with that said, California property taxes typically stay lower long-term because of that. Now, some of these areas, I made a video on this last week, some areas are seeing big increases in property taxes because of the way they do adjustments. You know, you buy your house at X, the neighbor down the street buys a house for significantly more money. Them buying that more expensive house now affects your property taxes because there's a more expensive comp for that appraiser, you know, in, in how the, the taxes are calculated. All states operate a little bit differently on this. I've had this conversation with a lot of people here over the last couple of days at this conference, and they all have different things. A lot of states have homesteads that protect it from going up too much. Um, some states don't have that at all. So it's one of those things that's really difficult to answer because there's no commonality amongst you know amongst all 50 states. Uh, but California, you know, that's the one nice thing that California does have is is Prop 13 and allows those rates to stay low. Uh, let's see. Jeff is asking a question. So Jeff looks like a real estate agent with that suit on there. So Jeff saying, can you speak to the Irvine University Park market? I'm seeing a lot, 10% over ask, your thoughts. So I don't know that market specifically. I don't look at comps specifically in that market, but what you have is, is Irvine is a, is a city that has a lot of demand. Um, and uh, you know, there's a demographic there that has been buying there for a long time and they, they want to be there because of the university. They wanna be there because of the safety. They wanna be there because friends and family live there. and continuing to buy homes in that market. And that's going to continue to push prices up. And, and Irvine's one of those cities that as things slow down, it's probably less likely in Orange County. It's it's going to be one of the strong market, the markets that continue to stay strong because of how much demand is there. Um, but I can't speak to the 10% exactly, but it wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I sold a house there, what, a couple months back that listed it, we listed at 850. And it sold for a million one. It sold for two hundred fifty thousand dollars above the asking price, and that was, you know, eight hundred fifty thousand dollars purchase price. That's thirty percent more than the asking price. So in that case, the ten percent, sure, um, I wouldn't be surprised to hear those numbers, but I don't know the exact number. Let's see what we got. So 
Ty. Ty says, someone recently asked me if my mortgage is a covered mortgage. I don't even know what that means. Can you please advise? So I don't know what somebody means by covered mortgage either. Um, that would be a new term for me. Uh, let's see here if we can find out what a covered mortgage is. See what they're saying a covered mortgage is. See if I can explain it to you. If Josh was here, he'd be able to tell you. Um, I'm not familiar with the covered mortgage, um, so I'm not even going to go there. And I don't see anything that really jumps out at me with regards to, um, you know, an answer quick. Um, so I'm going to stay away from that one at the moment. And, you know, if you're back next week, ask it to Josh and, and, and hopefully we can get you an answer. All right, guys, I'm just going through some questions here. Um, Dave is, is saying, talk about how much listing agents hate working with unrepresented buyers. So, um, listing agents hate working with unrepresented buyers. So I don't, I don't I think I understand the question. Um, listing agents love unrepresented buyers because it's an opportunity for many of them to work with the buyer too. Uh, but I don't know if that's your, your question directly. So maybe if I'm not clear, you know, make sure you, you, uh, put it back in there, what you're talking about. It's it's like the silence is killing me while I'm looking for this because typically we have two people talking. It's easy to to bounce off of each other. Um, LV Goddess, my friend is a real estate agent and shared that we wouldn't buy because people will be upside down the homes within a few years. So Cal, do you agree? I don't agree. I don't agree at all. In fact, um, but that's that's me. Um, you know, you've got to take your information, what you believe. And, and be able to process it and whatever. You shouldn't take one person's opinion on what's going to happen and be able to make your decision off that, right? There's too many people doing that at the moment. There's too many people, in my opinion, worried about the value of their house tomorrow. And it, I get it, right? You, you want the value of your house to go up. You don't want it to go down. But if you're buying for the right reasons, it doesn't matter what the value of your house is tomorrow. It's, it's not a stock. It's not, you know, you don't need to sell it tomorrow to do something. And if you do, then you shouldn't be buying in this market anyway. If you've got that five, seven, 10 year time horizon, I think you're, I think you're in a good place to be a homeowner. Um, you're going to see pullbacks in prices. You're going to see the leveling out in prices. You're going to see prices go down at some point. The question is from where, you know, where do they go down from? You guys have heard me say the average homeowner at the moment has $185,000 in equity. It's a lot of equity. Now, in some markets, it might not be 185,000. Maybe it's that's an average, right? Because some people have 500,000 and some people have 20,000. So it's it's all different, it's all relative. Um, and some markets might see, uh, you know, a, a pullback in prices at some point in the future where there are homeowners that are upside down. That that is going to happen at some point, uh, but it's not going to be across the board. This is not an 0708 deal. This is completely different. We talk about it all the time. So much to the fact that I'm not going to talk about it now. Just buy for the right reasons and you have less concern of what your value in your property is going to be. That's that's the best advice I can give you. If there's any advice I can give you at all, it is, it is that. So Kevin says, is it possible to do real estate part-time? Sure it is. Uh, there's a lot of people out there that do that. Um, are, they, are they great agents? In my opinion, not really. Um, but I'm also biased in that regard, right? Because it is my profession. I do this full-time. 
Um, you see a lot of part-time agents in the market because they want they 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 see dollar signs. They want to make money. The problem with part-time is that you're not committed to, you know, the learning, the working, the ins and outs of the business. You know, you get in when it's good and out when it's bad, and you never experience those bad times. And therefore, it, you you don't have the experience, in my opinion, to be a better agent. Um, so, sure, the answer is yes. Um, do I advise it? I don't, um, unless that is your plan to get into it full time at some point. Then maybe you do start part time and make the transition. But if it's always a part time gig, then um, I, I I think I'm not a I'm not a fan personally. Got you, got you. I got you. Um, yeah, so Dave, Dave is basically saying that, you know, buyers here trying to save 3% by going to the listing agent directly. Um, yeah, but you, I mean, how is the buyer saving money by going to, to the listing agent directly? I mean, in this environment, why would a listing agent, you know, reduce commission because a buyer goes to them. I mean, I wouldn't, if I, if I were the listing agent on a transaction, the buyer comes to me, why am I going to reduce my commission? Cause the buyer came to me. I'm not, um, it's just, there's, there's a ton of buyers out there and got to know your worth as a real estate agent. That's part of the game. Um, I don't want to talk about commissions just because it is a, a very, you know, um, sensitive subject when it comes to real estate and, um, not really something that we, we can talk about in detail. So Nikki asked, with the expected demand slowing, do you think real estate agents and brokers will move on to other jobs? 1,000%. Yeah. So the the one of the stats is that at the time of, uh, you know, during the last recession, if you will, um, you know, we got down to like 700 and something thousand uh, licensed real estate agents at that time after the last debacle. We are today, we are at one and a half million licensed practicing real estate. There's actually 3 million, um, 3 million? Yeah, 3 million people licensed to do real estate, but only 100, like 1.5 million practice. That's double coming out of the last recession, um, the last housing debacle, if you will, in 08. You're going to see many people because it's going to be difficult. It's going to be, it's, it's already difficult for, for many agents out there because of how difficult it is to work with buyers and get offers accepted and what have you. So you already see that dynamic changing. Um, it's going to be a, a professional's market in many ways because there is going to be a little bit of shift, more inventory. You're going to have to still do things in order to, to, to get your offers accepted. And that's going to take a pro, but the mortgage business for sure. Many of these refi shops, many of these lenders that, you know, were in it just for the refinances and what have you, they're going to fall by the wayside. Um, and they're going to, they're going to go out and, some point when the business is good again, any of them come back in it. We've seen it before. Um, it's happened. It happens every single time, and this time's no different. So, um, at the moment, let's see here. Where we sit? I don't have access to it because I'm on my laptop, which you guys can tell is awful, by the way, um, resolution-wise here. But I don't know where we are on on likes or subscribes. I mean, likes at the moment. But do me a favor if you're finding any value at all. You know, hit the, the thumbs up button. It helps people see it here. Helps get it out to more people. So thank you for uh, for 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 being in, tuning in. 
listening to me while again i'm by myself here so i i appreciate the support guys it, it does mean a lot um and it's the reason that i continue to do it it's the reason that i'm here tonight right i'm kind not really on vacation but i'm away from my kids my brides beside me um in fact and so you know i could be spending time with her i'm here to to help you guys um i am going to cut it short tonight but that is um one thing i wanted to uh, to point out that i am here to, to still help you guys so Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. <clears throat> so like to sing says, what makes a real estate agent stand out from others as a buyer? What questions should I ask to interview agents? So um, what makes a real estate agent stand out from others? Experience competence. I mean, like the basic things that you would look for in any professional that you want to you want to hire, right? You, you need the basics. Communication is a big one. Um, you know, all of those things, trustworthiness, all of that. I'm not going to get into that, but I think you need, you know, buyer's agent. You need to have somebody that's strong in negotiation, somebody that can have difficult conversations, someone that isn't afraid to, to get aggressive in, in trying to make things happen for you and repairs and, and all of those things, right? As a buyer, because it's a seller's market, you need a, a strong buyer's agent. Um, otherwise, I mean, can you go in and just pay the asking price and just say yes to everything and get a, an offer accepted? Maybe, right? I mean, but what's what's the joy in that? You need an agent that is that that's willing to, you know, take repairs to to the agent, talk about what needs to be done, try to get you know use some money back in that situation. So strong negotiators want a strong communicate a communicator um somebody that you know gets back to you does what they say they're going to do all of those things are important we could we could make a, a you know a show on that by itself um I, I won't put you through that but that is um you know that is the thing to keep in mind in my opinion it's just you know you need the, the most important thing in my opinion is somebody that again is a negotiator is going to have those conversations because that ultimately boils down to money which you know affects your monthly payment, affects how much you pay for a property, all of that good stuff. All right, guys, we're an hour and four minutes into this. So Johnny says, uh, "Long time, first time viewer, long time, long time loser here." So I don't believe that, Johnny. But do you think rents will keep going higher nationwide or lower? So. I think rents are probably going to continue to move sideways to up um, because you have a lack of available options out there. And I mean, honestly, the rental market is in crazy demand. I just listed a property in Cyprus in my market and the amount of demand on that property is insane. I mean, it's just incredible. The amount of people that are willing to rent a $3,500 property that's 1,300 square feet. And so with that said, if you have a lot of people that do think there's some sort of crash coming or some sort of peak in prices. Those people, they don't typically go out and sell something and buy something else. If that they, they think that's what's going to happen, they typically sell and sit and wait. Well, where are they going to go? They have to rent something. And so many of these people, if they've been renting a house, they don't want to go live in an apartment. They want to rent another property or what have you. And so with that, you're probably going to see rents continue to rise. You know, if inflation is a problem, it is. Um, if it continues to be a problem, that affects everything. The cost of of owning that property, the homeowner has, you know, the the cost 
goes up for that homeowner and that homeowner is going to pass some of that cost on to the tenant in a higher rent. So I think with that said, you see rents continue, continue to go up. So let's see here. Don't smoke crack says any, any harm in speaking with a lender to get pre-approved when they aren't really thinking about buying for one to three years. No clue how much we would qualify for and want to be prepared in case the landlord sells. So one to three years is a long, if you said one year, I would say no harm at all. In fact, there's no harm in three years. I think you're just very clear with your motives when you make that call to the lender, right? Hey, listen, I'm a buyer, but not one, you know, I'm one to three years out. I'm looking to buy a house. You know, this is how much income I make. It's my credit scores, all of that stuff. And let them tell you, hey, listen, this is how much you can afford to buy now. Um, or this is, you know, maybe they say, you know, ask you the question, what, how much are you looking to, to buy? What, what price point is that? They can work backwards and say, okay, this is where you need to be in order to do that. So I think having the conversation is a good thing. Um, do you need to have somebody run your credit and all of that? If you're planning on buying one to three years out, maybe not if you know your scores, but just having the conversation. Again, a lot of lenders out there can kind of set you on a plan of things you need to do in order to, to put yourself in the best position at that time. Uh, but it's it's definitely worth the call in order to, to make that happen. So Vic says, or am I in a hotel? Am I on the run? Um, I am in a hotel. Um, I'm in Carlsbad at the moment. I'm in uh, the La Costa. Uh, I, was, I was here for uh, a real estate conference over the last three days. It ended today. In fact, I left a little bit early in order to make this call um, to be here with you guys. But yeah, I'm in a hotel. Awful. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm operating here on a, on a Mac you know, a MacBook uh, Air from hell, 2014, I think. The camera probably has like 360 resolution on it. Um, so that's why it's awful. And the sound's probably terrible too because of the uh, the earbuds, but I am here. That's the most important thing. Ah, let's see here. Let's see. Some questions here I can't really answer because I don't know the answers to some of the stuff about you know what debt to income ratios are needed in certain markets or what have you or what I recommend. Uh, let's see. Patrick says, "What do you think resolves the lack of inventory issues in SoCal? I see lots of construction, but it seems like mostly apartment buildings for rentals versus townhomes versus condos. Blah blah blah. That's a really good question. You need construction built. You need new construction in order to correct the problem." Um, you know, you also need, I mean, if you want supply to build, you need interest rates to stay high. You need interest rates to stay high and potentially go higher where it affects affordability and supply builds. That's what corrects it. Um, you know, it, it allows that supply to increase. Now, I don't necessarily think that's going to happen. Um, and construction here in SoCal in, you know, in Orange County where I am, SoCal could be considered a big area, but Orange County building isn't going to solve the housing um, shortage, if you will. Um, but building high rates, slowdown in the market, all of that stuff allows supplies to, supply to build. It's just going to take time for that to happen. Now, I don't think that's something that's going to take place. So I think the market's going to continue. That's one reason why I don't think the market's going to see any major changes is just because of how low supply is in markets like Southern California. And that's not just the Southern California problem. A lot of problems have. Um, a lot of areas have this, uh, similar problems. I heard a stat today that Dallas, Texas, you know, actually built more new homes than the entire state of California. So Dallas itself 
built more homes last year than the entire state of California did. So in some context, you see, you know, markets that have that kind of building, those markets might be the ones that correct the issue a little bit quicker than say markets like I am in, in, in Southern California. see guys what do we got what do we got what do we got so i'm going to take a couple more questions guys and i'm going to cut it for the night i got people saying leave and go spend it with my bride and that is what i'm going to do um but i wanted to be here with you and have some good conversation uh, let's see here so Sam says, why do real estate agents never go for their broker's license? I did. Um, I did it really early on. Um, in fact, the state of California, you have to have a salesperson's license two years before you can have your broker's license. I did two years and got it immediately and wanted to be an entrepreneur and go start my own thing. And I did that for 10 years. I was an independent company before making that transition. But it's, you know, a lack of drive and, and people wanting the responsibility obviously with brokers it, it requires more it requires you know more education more responsibility more of all of that and occasionally you just get people not wanting to do that let's see all right guys i'm looking for some stuff here I don't know the property tax in North Carolina, so sorry I can't answer that one for you. What are the chances I make funnier real estate videos? I'm not a very funny guy. I'm pretty, you know, my wife tells me I'm not funny at all. She won't even look at me right now. Um, so, yeah, the, the chance isn't very high um, for that to happen. Let's see here. Uh, lost a rate locking out facing 3% increase in a new rate for an investment property. Would you suggest move forward, then refinance later or back out altogether? It depends. You're buying an investment property, right? So that is, isn't necessarily something you have to have. It's kind of a luxury, so to speak, um, in having investment property. So with that said, does it still cash flow? Does it still make sense to buy that property? If you don't buy the investment property, where are you going to park the cash, right? At the moment, we got inflation at 8.5%. So if you've got, you know, $100,000 sitting in the bank, for example, that you're going to invest in a property in a year's time at eight and a half percent, you're going to have $8,500 less on that, on that money. Um, if you believe inflation is going to be there in two years, you're going to have, you know, $17,000 less in that money. So parking it in real estate, you get appreciation, you get cash flow. Those are all things you have to consider when you're thinking about an investment property now. I've been in the market for an investment property for some period of time. Haven't found it. Rates have gone up. Um, I I haven't had a property that's come across my you know my desk so to speak that I've wanted to buy. But rates are, are quite a bit higher than when I last got qualified. So to me, I'd have to relook and see does it still make sense cash flow wise to buy that property now? Now, if there was no cash flow and I was upside down, I don't know that I would do it. But if it still had positive cash flow, maybe I would with the idea that I could refinance later. But that's another one that's you know, what's your risk tolerance to each his own? What are you comfortable with? Because I think that's that's super important in, in asking that question. All right. Let's see here, guys. Uh, uh, 
I'm not funny. That's cool. No, I'm not. I'm not. A, I'm a pretty serious guy. I'm not serious. I'm just like, I don't, my mood doesn't change very much. All right, guys, not a lot of questions here. Um, kind of unpacked everything. If you're just joining in, you want to know about, you know, the Fed meeting, my thoughts on that, go back and watch it at the beginning of the show. Talk about it. You know, um, if you missed this again, I'll put it on the podcast for Friday. So you can listen to this little episode on Friday. You'll be able to kind of dive into all the information, get your questions answered on, you know, uh, housing or what have you. I'll be, we'll be back next Wednesday, normal show, two hours. Josh will be there answering your questions. If you haven't done so already, hit the like button. If you find any value, you know, um, appreciate me being here because I, I do appreciate the support um, that you guys continue to provide. And with that said, I'm out tonight, going to spend it with the bride, a little bit of vacation. Enjoy until next time. Thanks for listening to the educated home buyer. Want to connect with us or to a local expert in your area? Please reach out at the educated slash expert. If you found any value today, please be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. In addition, we ask that you share it with your friends and subscribe to us on YouTube and make sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening.